Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you that are visiting with us today, and I know that we have a few, I've met a couple already uh, because of our special music this morning, the Rudder Requiem, uh, that we are in the midst of the season of Lent and we're doing a sermon series on the people of the Passion. And thus far, we've talked about the Apostles, and last week we talked about Herod and Pilate. And this week, we're talking about a very unique figure in Scripture. Simon of Cyrene. And it's really the two reasons reasons, uh, that we chose the two readings for today. This will become evident momentarily. And by the way, Don drew the short straw with the readings. I don't know how many caught all the names. Some of you are probably thinking, what sadist chose that reading? That would be me. But there's a reason that we chose that reading from Romans... And complementary with it, the reading from the Gospel according to Mark. And that's because of the figure that we're focusing on, Simon of Cyrene. Some people would say Cyrene, um, but Cyrene's easier, so we'll just focus on Cyrene, uh, who really is so unique in the Gospels. He's woven into the synoptics, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and talked about as the one who carried the cross. And if you think about the last couple of weeks... We talked about the apostles. They share some things in common. And if you think about Herod and Pilate, even Herod and Pilate shared some things in common. But when you come to Simon of Cyrene, or Cyrene, he's a very unique figure in Scripture. And we really don't know a whole lot about him, except what we can glean from just a few Scriptures. The first, the most obvious, is we're told that he's from Cyrene. Cyrene, for those of you that don't know, is found in Libya. And Libya today is primarily a Muslim nation. But back during Simon's day, especially in the area of Cyrene, they guesstimate at approximately 10,000 Jews, which means that there was a strong synagogue system in Libya during this time, and in particular, the area around Cyrene. And so, the people from Libya would at some point make a pilgrimage, most likely, if they were ever able, to Jerusalem for Passover. And we are at the time of Passover during Holy Week in the Gospel reading for today. And some people, in order to be able to afford to go on such a pilgrimage, would need to do some extra selling or save some extra money. And so we're told that Simon of Cyrene came from the country. So there's a good chance that this guy Simon was probably a worker. Probably one of the few times he was able to get to Jerusalem for the Passover. A real treat. 
And when he comes to Jerusalem, there's this huge crowd, probably something he never saw. They guesstimate hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus people that were there for Passover during this time in history. And so Simon shows up. And something unusual is going on. These huge crowds are lining the path on the way to Golgotha. And there's a man carrying a cross. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they reach out and they grab Simon and they say, you're going to carry it. Why? We don't know for sure. Maybe because he was a big guy. Probably because he was dressed in an outfit that made him a commoner, a worker. He was probably strong. But they chose him out of the crowd to carry the cross. Why did Jesus need help? I mean, after all, Jesus was probably a strapping guy, not like you see him in the movies. He was a carpenter's son. He probably worked the first 30 years of his life. He was a laborer. But you need to remember what he had just been through. He'd been up all night. He was exhausted. He was beaten. He had the 39 lashes. And by the way, the reason they land on 39 is because it was a tradition. They believed if you had 40 lashes, you would die. So they bring you to the point of dying. But you don't die. Then he was crowned with a crown of thorns. So he has tremendous blood loss at this time. And he's weak. And he's probably beginning to be dehydrated. And the tradition is that he fell several times along the way. And so they compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross. Now, just pause for a moment. Don't you think his first response would be, why? Or if not, why me? I know that most of you never ask questions like, why me, right? But he was probably standing there, a bystander amongst thousands, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people, and they choose him. But you know, in reality, we ask why all the time. We really do. Why can't they find that Malaysian airline? Why, thinking over the past couple weeks, did Jesus choose the 12 apostles that he chose? Why did he choose amongst them Judas, of all people? If he knew better. Why do children die? They're not supposed to die before their parents. Why do some people get cancer and some people not get cancer? It's questions that I've thought about over the past few weeks. Why me? You know, when I was growing up, and probably some of you are experiencing this now with children or grandchildren, when I was growing up, I was one of those inquisitive, geeky kids. I always wanted to know the answers. I always wanted to get the answers right in class. And so, when I was with my parents or with my teachers, I would always ask why.
And I remember, you know, on more than one occasion asking why and then asking why and then asking why. You know how maddening that is? Now that I'm an adult. And parents and teachers lose patience at times. Now, I don't think God loses patience with us, but I think he doesn't always give us the answer. And maybe someday when we see him face to face, he will. And some of those whys that we're asking for right now won't matter. But you know, when we ask the question why, we want information. We want intellectual answers and reasons. When really, what we're asking is something that's emotional, it's in our heart. Why? And that's what Simon was probably asking at this time. And the reason would become evident later on. It doesn't always. But for Simon, it would. And whatever thoughts and whatever feelings that he had before, as he came to an understanding of the role that he would play and who Jesus was and is, it would change the question. Because his life was changed. And that's what becomes evident from the scriptures. Maybe so not, not, not so obvious to first glance, but that's what becomes evident as you unpack these scriptures, is what happened to Simon. Let's start with the fact that Simon was compelled. He didn't volunteer. How many of us like to be compelled to do anything? No one likes to be compelled. I mean, there are times in our lives we know we're compelled and we know we're supposed to be compelled and we're going to do it because. Like, for example, when your boss says to you, you will do this. Why are we feeling compelled? Because we could lose our job or we might not get paid. That's why. When a parent tells you that you must do this, seems to happen less today. But a child feels compelled particularly if they're people-pleasers, parent-pleasers, to do whatever the parent compels them to do. But when we become adults, the typical compulsion that we follow is whatever we feel at the time. Some desire, some want some perceived need that we have that we sense is going to bring us some kind of fulfillment, some kind of happiness. It's going to bring me pleasure, which is why I feel this inner compulsion. But after all, as adults in the United States of America in the 21st century, we have our rights. No one should be able to compel us to do anything. Well, that wasn't the case back then. Back then, when a Roman soldier would grab someone, they would be compelled to do whatever it was the soldier wanted them to do within reason, within the law. Because after all, carrying a cross 
for a criminal would be below a Roman soldier's duty. And so they could compel someone to carry a cross. Remember when Jesus talked about if you're asked to go one mile, go the second mile? It's become a common phrase today. Go the second mile. It's because a Roman soldier could compel you to carry his armor for a mile. So Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross. Now, the last two sermons, I asked people to pause and just imagine themselves. Imagine yourself as Simon, just for a moment. I guarantee you, if it was me, I would have been the one to say, why me? I would have been. I know myself well enough. I would have done it out of fear. I didn't want to get beaten up or worse by a Roman soldier. I didn't want to get arrested. So I would have been the one to carry the cross if I would have been compelled by the Roman soldier. And I would be angry and I would be frustrated and I would probably be embarrassed because everybody's looking at me carrying this cross wondering what I did because I'm walking along with these criminals carrying a cross. So I'd be embarrassed. But my sense is that something changed. And I would hope that what would happen as I walked along the way is that the anger and frustration would subside. That as I heard what people were saying about Jesus and observing the man, possibly Jesus even talking to him, that my anger and frustration and embarrassment would change to pity and sympathy. That I might even count it a privilege to carry it for this person. Did you ever do that? That you're doing something for someone reluctantly, begrudgingly, that eventually you're really glad you did, and that you feel blessed because you did? That's probably part of what Simon experienced. That Simon was compelled, but something changed. And Simon was moved. You know, the first move that happened to Simon was the fact that he was an innocent bystander who was grabbed, who was told what he was going to do. What he did was hard work. He was probably sweating. I guarantee you at that moment... In the world's eyes, in the world's mind, and even in Simon's mind, it wasn't a movement of the Holy Spirit. But Simon became moved in other ways. My guess is, as Simon walked down the road with this cross, maybe Jesus talked to him. Maybe he heard what some of the people said about him. Not the negative naysayers, the one who wanted him killed, but some of the other ones. Maybe he observed Jesus, the way he walked and how he handled himself. Maybe when he got to the cross and he saw people weeping and he was asking the question because he would be a Jew trying to find out, who is this guy? 
Why is this happening to him? And some people are saying, this could be the Messiah. And it doesn't fit his picture, but he's, he's now decided he's going to stay. And he stays by the cross. And he listens to Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he says, it's finished. What does he mean, it's finished? What's finished? And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he dies. What just happened? He has no idea. But he's, he knows he's not the same man that began to carry the cross. And maybe he stayed the weekend for Passover, and maybe he heard more about this Jesus person, and he was intrigued. And then by Sunday, he hears that this guy had risen from the dead. And he had to know. And Paul writes in Corinthians that Jesus appeared not just to the twelve and James and his family. He appeared to over 500. Maybe Simon stayed long enough to be one of those 500. Maybe he stayed for Pentecost. And that's why you see in the list of those who were touched on Pentecost the people of Cyrene in Libya. Because something happened to Simon. And the evidence is in the scriptures that you have before you. And what happened to Simon... He left in his legacy. And what I mean by his legacy is what we see and what we read in the scriptures. The fact that the people know Alexander and Rufus. The fact that Mark, when he wrote his gospel, would say the father of Alexander and Rufus means that the early church knew who these guys were. That there's a chance when Mark wrote his gospel, he wrote his gospel in Rome, coming from the lips of Peter. And guess who was in Rome that we discover in Romans chapter 16? When Paul writes his letter, he says, and to Rufus. Interesting. Rufus being the child of Simon. That Rufus would become a missionary of all things. And there's a good chance it was modeled to him because in the first century, the first generation and the second generation of the church, Cyrene became a strong Christian center. That there's a good chance that Simon went back there and brought the gospel with him. So that the legacy that we see in Simon's life because he carried the cross, because he stayed, because he was touched by Jesus and the words he said, and heard about the resurrection and maybe even saw the risen Lord, is that he would bring the gospel to his hometown. His family was changed. 
His city was changed. And then people beyond that because his children became missionaries. That's pretty amazing that you can glean that from these two readings. But you can. And that's what happened to Simon. The legacy he left was a powerful legacy. It touched a family, a city, and beyond. All because he carried the cross. And did you see what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16, by the way? What Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16, greet Rufus, the chosen one. You know, his dad was the one that was chosen to take the cross. Now Rufus is a chosen one by the Lord. And then, and his mother, who's like a mother to me. This is Simon's wife. Becomes like a mother to Paul. What happened in that family, all because Simon carried the cross, was incredible. A family was transformed. That's the legacy that follows Simon. You know, there's a legend. A legend about the Easter egg. Now, I don't know how many of you have really looked into why we use Easter eggs. You know, when I was a kid, I always wondered about that, so I went to my parents and said, why? Imagine that. Why do we do Easter eggs? And they really weren't sure. I mean, it's something to do with bunnies being prolific or the Easter egg, you know, showing life. So I did a little research. You know, Easter eggs really, if you read the scriptures, it doesn't say, and celebrate Easter with Easter eggs. It doesn't say that in the Bible. And to our knowledge, there isn't a long history of that. It's more recent in the church and in history. The best evidence in the Western churches is that somewhere in the 1600s, Easter eggs began to be a common practice around Easter. And probably a little before that, it began in the Eastern Orthodox Church because there was a tradition of eggs being about new birth and a symbol of that. But you know what's interesting about the earliest traditions in the Eastern Orthodox Church about the Easter eggs? They were dyed one color and it was red. Because of the passion and the death and the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. That even in the Easter egg is found the message of the cross. That the shell represents the tomb. And that life comes out of the tomb in the resurrection. In my case, the shell could have easily represented a hard heart that needed to be broken open, which we all need with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the tradition behind the Easter egg, but the legend that goes with it has to do with Simon of Cyrene. See, the legend goes that when Simon came to Jerusalem, 
for Passover. Because he was a worker, because he was doing this pilgrimage from Libya, he brought some of his wares with him because he knew there'd be tons of people around. So he brought a basket or a cart full of baskets of eggs. And when he carried the cross, and after Jesus' death, he returned to the eggs, and they were all beautifully decorated as his reward for carrying the cross for Jesus. Now that's probably just a legend, by the way. But it makes the point. The point is that Simon had a reward. See, but the reward isn't something as superficial as eggs being colored. See, because the life of faith isn't meant to be superficial. What happened to Simon was that his life was transformed and his family and his city. What happened to Simon is in hindsight, Jesus himself told a prophecy about if you would be my disciple and follow me, you must pick up your cross. In order to follow Jesus, we need to pick up our cross. When Jesus said that, his followers didn't know exactly what that meant. Because he said it probably a year, two years, maybe even close to three years before he would actually go to the cross. They didn't fully comprehend. But in hindsight, Simon is the first one that lived into it. That he carried the cross to participate in the story of salvation. That he carried the cross, and in that cross, he would find his own salvation and transformation of life. That's the gospel. Because it's in the cross that we find the forgiveness. It's in the cross that we find we need to die to sin and die to self. That we are called, like Simon, to take up our cross daily, as Luke says in his gospel, and follow him. See, and I know during Lent, we give up desserts. And I know for some of you, that's like excruciatingly painful. I understand. Maybe you give up chocolate. Maybe you give up drinking wine. Whatever. That is only meant to point you to the fact that we are to take up our cross. It's symbolic. It's not the actual cross, okay? It's symbolic. That God intends that our lives are transformed. That God intends that we understand who Jesus is and why he went to the cross to pay the penalty we couldn't and die in our place for our sin. And that when we give up those little things, it's meant to remind us that we have experienced the gift of salvation because Jesus suffered. Jesus deprived himself. Jesus went to the cross and Jesus died.
that when we experience whatever pang we experience because of what we've done for the season of Lent, it reminds us that we are also to participate in the salvation story for other people. That taking up your cross is identifying with Jesus so that we become Him to the world around us. We take up His cause for the world. But the world desperately needs to know who this Jesus is. To hear the words around the cross. And the power of the resurrection. And the question is, have you? Have you really understood the cross? That Jesus went there for you. Have you really understood the resurrection? It's not about colored eggs. It's about the symbol of the egg. The red that he died for you. The shell that he was in the tomb. And you break it open and it means life. And that's the power of the resurrection. That we have life and life eternal. Have you taken up the cross? For your own life. For the sake of your family. For maybe the sake of others that you haven't even met yet. Have you taken up the cross? Because like Simon, God wants to change your life. To open your eyes to see Jesus. And to walk away changed. That's the reward. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, so often we ask the question, why? When we have struggles in life, when we have pain, when we see pain around us and in the world, we ask why? Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that we would know with confidence, with certainty, the why of the cross and the why of the resurrection. That we would, like Simon, be called to your side to walk with you and to share in the salvation story. To hear your words anew, Father, forgive them that we are offered forgiveness through the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. We have the opportunity to live in the kingdom this day and every day for all eternity. And it is finished. Jesus paid the price. Lord, I pray that the reality of the cross would be before us. The power of the cross would uphold us. The power of your Holy Spirit and the resurrection would transform us. And we ask this in Jesus' name.